And I'll ask the rest of you to open your Bibles with me this morning to the book of 1 Peter, chapter 5, as we return to our verse-by-verse exposition of this uh, book of encouragement to a church that is struggling, a church that is uh, facing increased persecution. And uh, Peter's been writing this as a a means of encouragement to them. And uh, while you're turning there, I just want to just make mention of um, this this last year and and just how the Lord has been at work and uh, this is the time of year that we kind of all tend to reflect on on uh, kind of how 2018 has been to us right I mean we've gotten through our Christmas celebrations we've we've uh, I mean everybody finished with Christmas anybody got more Christmas to celebrate so I think everybody's done usually by now um, but we've only got two days left in 2018. I know for some of us, uh, it's been a really rough year. Um, For my family and I, it's actually been a very blessed year. The Lord has given us a lot of opportunities to uh, carry out and to enjoy a lot of uh, wonderful blessings. Of course, it's had its challenges as well. And, uh, but whatever, whatever's happened to you in this last year, I think moving forward, one of the most important things to remember is that in the new year, just as in every day, we need to keep our eyes focused on Christ. Every year when I, when I, when I come to the end of the year and I begin to evaluate the last year and look forward to the new year, I'm not, not real big into making a lot of New Year's resolutions um, per se, but I do kind of tend to think of what I would like to do better. And uh, one of the things I would always like to do better is I would always like to be a more faithful Christian. I'd always like to be a better witness for Christ. I'd always like to be uh, more diligent in my personal Bible study, not just in studying for, uh, for the, the preaching and teaching of the Word, but just spending time with the Lord. And, and uh, there's always so many things I feel like I could do better as a follower of Jesus Christ. And I would hope that would be the desire of all of us, to be better Christians, to be more faithful followers of Christ, to be the church that God has called us to be as his children. And, uh, and I think as we even, as we look at what Peter's about to speak to here, we really see uh, a desire for Peter, for the church to be all that it can be, for all that it should be. And, uh, and, and that's really what, uh, what I want to focus on this morning as I begin a series of messages entitled, Shepherding the Flock of God. Um, Peter was a shepherd, um, not by trade. We know he was a fisherman, right? But, uh, but God called him to be a shepherd, he called him to leave his, his uh, nets and to catch fish and to catch men instead, but not just to catch them, but to care for them as well. And we see uh, throughout this letter that Peter has written to believers scattered throughout the empire, those that are Um, enduring persecution for the faith that he just is continuing to encourage them to help them to understand that whatever's going on in life whatever difficulties may come and he understands some of their difficulties he wants them to to remember that God is at work through them and God is at work for them and not to be consumed with the immediacy of your circumstances so that you miss out on what God is doing 
but to keep your eyes focused on Christ and to keep your energy focused on doing the things that He's called you to do as His children. That's the most important thing, to be what God has saved you to be. You see, when God saves you, He doesn't do so just kind of flippantly. He doesn't just kind of give grace just, just haphazardly and just, and just send it out. I'm going to sprinkle a little there and sprinkle a little there and just let them do with it what they will. No, God works purposefully. God saves us for a reason. He intends to work in and through our lives. And so Peter just constantly encouraging the believers to be faithful regardless of their difficulty. And, uh, but Peter, as a pastor, as a leader in the church, just has a burden for the body. And it comes through in this book, and especially in the text which we're about to read. And he recognizes, because there occurs a shift at the beginning of chapter 5. He's been focusing primarily on the flock, encouraging the people. But as we get into chapter 5, what we're going to see is that Peter just briefly shifts to address the elders of the church, the leaders that have been appointed to lead. Because as a fellow elder, Peter understands some of the burden that leaders carry. He understands the heartache that is involved. He understands the concerns and the responsibilities that are there. And he understands that if the church is going to be healthy, and if the church is going to be what God wants it to be, then the leaders have to be the leaders that God has called them to be as well. And I think that burden, that burden for pastors, that burden for, for elders in the church, really is captured best, not by what Peter says here, but really in a passage in 2 Corinthians eleven twenty eight, 28 by the Apostle Paul. Paul captures this burden. He is just finished concluding a long list of trials and tribulations which he's endured. He talks about being shipwrecked, he talks about being arrested, he talks about being beaten, he talks about being stoned. And then in 2 Corinthians eleven twenty eight, 28, he says this, he says, apart from such external things, there is daily pressure on me of concern for all the churches. You see, it wasn't the immediacy of the circumstances that bothered Paul. It was the church, the church being what God desired for it to be, the church being what God gave his son for it to be. And Peter shares that same burden, and, and, you, and we're going we're gonna to see that as he addresses the leaders here in chapter 5, verses 1 through 4. And I want to ask you to stand with me this morning as we read God's holy and inspired word. 1 Peter chapter 5. Therefore, I exhort the elders among you as your fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ and a partaker also of the glory that is to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but voluntarily, according to the will of God, and not for sordid gain, but with eagerness, nor yet is lording it over those allotted to your charge, but proving to be examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. 
Heavenly Father, as we come to your word again this morning, we recognize, first of all, Lord, that you have spoken. This is your word by your spirit to your people. And Lord, we simply ask that as your spirit first inspired these words to be written, that by your spirit you would give us understanding and application to our lives so that we may be conformed to the image of Christ and he may be glorified in us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Peter begins this text in addressing the elders of the church, helping them, wanting them to understand and, un- and know that he has a burden for them. And even as he calls them to be examples to the flock, he uses himself as an example to the leaders. You see, everybody needs an example in their life. I mean, Christ is our great example, amen? I mean, he, he did it all. He, he suffered, and he, was, he did it in a, in a gracious way. He did it in a way that he kept himself from sin in order that he might become sin for us, in order that his righteousness might be given to us. And, and so Christ is our ultimate example, but, you know, if we're all honest, we know we're not him, right? I mean, we're, we're, not, we're, we're not even close to being the level that Jesus was, right? We can look to his word and we can look at what he says and, and we can understand that that's what, we're, that's what we're striving for. But if we're honest with ourselves, we know we're not going to get there, right? But God gives us people in our lives to be examples of faithfulness, to be examples of uh, encouragement, to be examples and and that's really why God puts leaders in the church to be an example and and Peter knows that that's I mean you look there in in verse in verse number four and sorry in verse number three he says prove to be examples to the flock back in to verse number one and we're we're going to camp out in verse one this morning and uh, I hope you all don't mind but there's just so much here that is an encouragement to me as a pastor and, and, a, and a leader, but I think is so beneficial to the church as we understand the purpose of Peter's example. You see, because Peter's being an example to the leader so that they can be examples to the people. So what does that tell us? That means that everything that God is doing in, through the writing of Scripture and the power of the Holy Spirit in order to encourage the church, even in encouraging leaders, it's all meant to be passed down to every believer. That is, we're all accountable to the same ultimate standard, right? Wherever there's instruction for leaders, it's there so that leaders can be an example to the flock. Why? Because the flock is supposed to follow the leadership's example. So whatever instruction comes to leaders, it's really instruction to every believer. So even though we're going to be focused on instruction for leaders, don't miss or don't think that it's not applicable to you as the church, as, as the body. You see, Peter, Peter's encouragement here comes in the aspect of him being an example. And the first thing I want you to see in the text this morning is Peter's intent to encourage the church, to encourage 
the church's leaders in particular, but ultimately for the body as a whole. He says, therefore, verse 1, therefore I exhort the elders among you. Now that word exhort, it comes from a, a Greek word which means to call alongside. It means to be an encouragement. It means to be a helper. It's In fact, it's the same word that's spoken in reference to the Holy Spirit when Jesus says, I will send the helper, the, the, the paraclete in Greek. It's that same Greek form, parakaleo, means to call alongside, to be a helper, to be an encouragement, to, be, to beseech. It carries all of these ideas of coming alongside and, and being, being that encouragement and that strength. And, and Peter was encouraged by Christ to, to be a faithful leader to the church. And now Peter turns around to encourage not just Christians in this letter, but to Christian leaders in particular. He says... He addresses the elders among you. It's from the Greek word presbyteros, which we get the word presbyterian from, right? That's the word elders. And, a, and most simply, an elder is a person who has been appointed to give leadership in the church. There's several words throughout the New Testament that refer to leaders in the church. We have, we have elders, pastors, and bishops, or sometimes translated as overseers. And those three words are really, in different contexts, and different texts of Scripture, are used interchangeably. In one part, it'll refer to him as an elder, and the next part, it'll refer to him as an, an overseer or a bishop, and it's really, it's the same, they're referring to the same people. And even in our text here this morning, as, as Peter is speaking, forms of those three words are being used. He's, he refers to them as elders in verse 1, and then in verse number 2, where he gives the command to shepherd the flock, that, the word shepherd is where we get the word pastor from. It's the same Greek root word as the word pastor. And then he says, and then again in verse 2, he says, exercising oversight. That word for oversight is the word that's translated in a form as overseer or bishop. And so even in Peter, we see the, these roles and responsibilities of, of the church leaders, they're, they're all interchangeable. There's not three different offices for those that are in authority in the church. It's just really just one office. It's the office of elder. And, and, and an elder is not, always, is not always as we think of it as a, the pastor, but it is someone who, who God has placed in the church to be, to be a leader, to be an example. And, and sometimes there, there, are, there are people in the church that are elders, that is people that the congregation look to for leadership. Those are elders, just by default they're elders. And then there's, there's people that are, that are appointed, and sometimes those are staff, and sometimes, and depending on church structure, they can be um, just their primary responsibility, and we see that fleshed out throughout Scripture as well. And the reason why I say all that is to help provide the correct context for what we're talking about. Because I'm always concerned, whenever, every time I come up to preach, I'm always concerned about interpreting the text correctly. You understand, the Word of God is not something to be taken lightly. And there's so many people out there that they, they treat the Bible as if it's just some kind of uh, mystical book, some kind of magical thing that, you know, when they need help, they just kind of take their Bible and they just kind of just open it randomly and say, okay, God, give me something. And while I don't doubt that God is able to work in that way on occasion, that's not the primary means by which He, under, he means for us to understand His Word. He wants us to, to, to know His Word, to know it in context, to know what 
the original writers intended for it to say and what the original audience heard and, un and understood. And as Peter's writing this, they would have understood, listen, the, the, the leaders in the church need to be encouraged. And Peter's talking about that. And, and in the early churches, there were a multiplicity of elders that were, that were leading. And, and the Bible teaches us that there were some that had that primary responsibility of preaching and teaching, although all elders, by qualification, are supposed to be able to teach. We see that in 1 Timothy 3, 2. An overseer then must be above reproach, husband of one wife, temperate, prudent, respectable, hospitable, able to teach. It's the only different requirement between an elder and a deacon is that an elder is required to be able to teach and a deacon's not. Everything else is pretty much the same. So when we think, think about church offices, it's important for us to understand who's being talked to here, to have a clear understanding of who P Peter is addressing. And in this case, it is those in particular who are called to be the primary leaders in the church. Because the reality is leaders need encouragement. Because while a lot of people will put pastors and leaders up on a pedestal sometimes and they'll think of them as some kind of super Christian, the reality is they're not. They're just people with weaknesses and struggles and difficulties and they're just like everybody else. They're, they're, they're among the sheep at the same time being over the sheep. You see, as, as a leader of the church, it's, it's never the, the pastor's flock. It's God's flock. The pastor's one of the sheep, but, he, but he's called to a unique position, a unique role of being an example. To be an example in order, why? To be an encouragement, right? So here you have this imperfect, these imperfect people who are given the charge of being responsible for the sheep, and yet, you think about what Peter's dealing with. Peter's dealing with the people that, that, are, that are facing increasing persecution. Their, their friends and their relatives are being arrested. They're, they're struggling for their faith. They're overwhelmed with their current circumstances. And while that can be discouraging enough for the people, the elders, the, the pastors, the leaders in the church, they're the ones, they're, they're bearing that burden. Because, first of all, who's the first one to usually be attacked with persecution? It's going to be the leaders, right? Because they're, they're kind of representative of the body. So they're usually the first ones to experience that. And then, of course, because of the relationship between the elders and the people, for every person that's hurt and every person that's struggling, that leader's carrying that burden as well. And he recognizes they need to be encouraged. And Peter recognizes they need to be encouraged. And Peter also recognizes, hey, listen, the people aren't going to be encouraged if the leaders aren't encouraged. Because if the leadership is, is downtrodden and the leadership is, is, is stuck in a funk because of discouragement and, and difficulty then they're not going to be effective leaders and they're not going to encourage the church and, and the church is going to be crippled because of ineffective leadership. And so Peter comes along and he says, listen, I want to encourage you because you're so integral to the health and the well-being of the body. And he says, I want to be there and I want you to understand 
that there is, there is a, I understand your burden. And, and Peter even begins to, be, to, to demonstrate his own intimacy. He doesn't show us just his intent and be an encouragement, but his intimacy with those elders. He says, I exhort you, elders, I exhort the elders among you as your fellow elder. He says, listen, I'm one of you. Now, think about it. Peter's trying to offer instruction, right? Now, he starts off the letter, he introduces himself as an apostle, right? That means he's, he's asserting his authority as an apostle. He is an authority figure. He's giving instruction. He wants them to recognize that he's been called by Christ and he understands that. But when he, when he addresses the leaders here, he doesn't appeal to his authority as an apostle. He just comes alongside him. He comes down to him. He says, listen, I'm just like you guys. I understand what you're going through. I'm your fellow elder. I'm your fellow worker in the faith. I, I've been where you are. I understand the difficulties of, of what you're going through. And so, rather than making his authority as apostle, he comes alongside, doing this just to be the most effective as he could be. But you think about it in the workplace environment. If your boss wants you to do something and wants you to, to perform better and, and, and has, a, has a plan for you and, and wants to, to help you along that way, is it, is, it, is it better for him just to kind of give you orders and just tell you what needs to be done because you're your boss or for him to come alongside you and kind of show you how it's done? It's always a whole lot better to come alongside you and show you how it's done, right? That's what Peter's doing. He's just coming alongside him to show him how it's done. He said, listen, I've been where you are. I understand the difficulties. And so he begins to share um, through personal experience and common hope what it means to be in that position. And that's what he's talking about when he says, your fellow elder and a, part and a witness of the sufferings of Christ and a partaker also of the glory that is to be revealed. So he, he appeals to them on basis of his own personal experience. He was a witness of the sufferings of Christ. That means he knew what it meant to suffer, right? Now, if you think about it, I mean, Peter, Peter had seen Jesus' ministry up close and personal. Peter was part of the inner three of the disciples. Whenever Jesus did something where he separated himself and only took a couple people with him, Peter was there. Peter, James, and John were the inner three. They were, the, they were the, the cream of the crop, right, among the disciples. They were always there. When Peter was arrested, when, Peter was, when Jesus was arrested, Peter was there. Peter was scared, but Peter, Peter went, right? Peter went, went to the trial. Of course, we have the famous denial that Peter endured at, at the trial as those recognized him as being followers of Jesus, and he continued to deny him, and, and it says he went out and he wept bitterly. But we don't have any biblical evidence that Peter was actually there at the crucifixion. It just says the disciples stood afar off. You know, they kind of were watching from a distance. But I bet he was there. But I don't really don't think even that's what he's talking about when he talks about being a witness of the sufferings of Christ. I think in, in part he's referencing the reality of knowing what Christ went through, but he's really talking about identifying with Christ in the suffering that he himself had endured. And that he's trying to help the pastors that he's talking to and the elders that he's talking to. He's trying to help them understand and to see, listen, I've been where you are. I've suffered the things. And, and think about it. Throughout this letter, Peter's been telling them what to endure suffering, right, for the sake of Christ. Because Christ is our ultimate example. In fact, if you go back to chapter, for chapter 2 and verse 21, he says, You have been called for this purpose since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you as an example for you to follow in his steps 
who committed no sin, nor was any deceit found in his mouth. And while being reviled, he did not revile in return. While suffering, he uttered no threats, but kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. So all through the letter, Peter's been telling them, listen, you're going to suffer. You need to endure. Follow Christ's example. And now Peter says, listen, I've done that. I've been there. And we know from the biblical record, right, some of what Peter endured. You know, after, after Jesus ascended, Peter was one of the primary spokesmen for the church. And what's the, one of the first things that happens? After Pentecost, and they have a glorious revival, 3,000 people are saved, the church is growing like crazy, and what happens? They come in and they arrest Peter and John, right? They come in and arrest him and they threaten him. And then, because they're not really sure what else to do with him, they let him go. Well, Peter and John, they go out, they continue with the other disciples, they keep preaching Christ, and then what happens? They get arrested again right? Because they've healed this guy that's been, that was born lame, right, at the gate of the temple, and they're arrested again. They said, look, we warned you not to preach in this name. But, you know, obviously, they're performing miracles in the name of Jesus, and the, leader, the leaders of the uh, temple don't really like it, and so they decide they're going to beat them, right? So they beat them. And then a little bit later on, we see that, and then they let him go. So Peter's now been arrested twice. He's been beaten for the sake of Christ. A little later on, we know that, that Peter is arrested again, that some of the, some of the people are arrested, that uh, the disciple um, James, James the disciple is, is beheaded, right? He's, he's killed. And, uh, and because, the, because I think it's uh, Herod at this point, he says, uh, yeah, he recognizes that it pleased the people, and so he'd, he had there was a feast going on, and he had planned on killing Peter also. And then we have that great story in Scripture, that great revelation of the angel coming and setting Peter free and, and getting him out of jail, and Peter thinking it was all a vision, and then he comes to and realizes, hey, God just set me free from this death sentence, right? And so Peter, Peter understands, excuse me, understands something of what it means to suffer, right? He, he's been there, not only in what he saw in Christ, but also in his own workings. And so his, in his own experience it's like he's reaching out to, to those he's speaking to and he says listen i've been there i've endured suffering on behalf of christ i've told you this is part of the plan because i've witnessed it myself and so well so you think well what does that have to do with us because obviously you know the the churches that we're familiar with the churches that we're a part of they're not really dealing with that kind of persecution, with that kind of difficulty, the imprisonment. There are churches around the world that are, but let's deal with where we live, right? It's just not something that we're having to deal with yet, right? It's a possibility it could come. But what, what are the struggles? What are the, the, the burdens? What are those things that, that, that apply to us today? Well, I alluded to it earlier, that the, the leaders in the church, they suffer the burden, the burden of the flock. When, when members of the church or, or people they're ministering to are sick or hurting or struggling, leaders bear that burden. When you're discipling other people and you're offering biblical counsel and, and you see them engaging in, in harmful behavior and, and your counsel's ignored and, and people continue to get hurt and things continue to get bad, that, you carry that burden. When you're trying to witness to people and you're, and you're sharing your burden for them as lost people and you want them to be saved and they don't respond to Christ and, and they won't come to faith, you, you bear that burden as well. And so sometimes it can be a little overwhelming to, for, for church leaders. There's so many stories. Every week I read stories um, 
that are that are sent into my email about pastors that are that are getting pastors that are burnt out, pastors that have uh, leaving the ministry, pastors that are that are struggling, pastors that pastors that have committed suicide. I mean, just the the burden just seems to be overwhelming. And there's so many stats out there, and you can't believe everything you read. I came across one stat that said something like 1,500 pastors a month leave the ministry, and uh, and while there, I can't couldn't seem to find any research that supports that number. That's still kind of staggering that somewhere along the line someone has come up with that to say, listen, there's a problem here. And, and what we need, and I think the thing for us to recognize again is that church leaders are not super Christians. They're just people. And they struggle and they hurt and, <laughs> and they need encouragement. And, and that's what Peter's trying to help them do. He understands, he wants them to know where, that he's been where they are. He understands their burden. He understands what Christ has called them to do. And and, and he's experienced those burdens. And so Peter's not, but Peter's not just trying to empathize with his fellow elders, but he's encouraging them on in the work. Because there's a big difference between just recognizing the hurt and coming alongside and, and hurting with somebody than actually helping them to move on and continue the thing that they're supposed to be focused on. Because he doesn't want them to be focused on their difficulty. He wants them to understand, listen, I've been there. I can empathize with you, but there's work to be done. And we need to focus not on our circumstances, but we need to focus on what God's called us to do. He says, there, there is, it's not just that Peter's sharing this um, common experience, but he's, he's offering them and reminding them of their common hope. Look back here with me in verse 1. He says, therefore I exert, excuse me, exhort the elders among you as your fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ, and a partaker also of the glory that is to be revealed. And this is that motivating factor. This is that one reality that we need to not lose sight of. Is that whatever's going on in life, whatever seems to be overwhelming us in the moment, is not the ultimate reality of who we are, or where we are, or even where we're going. The ultimate reality is revealed to us in the promises of God and that He's told us that we have reserved for us in heaven a, a hope and an inheritance that is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away. That's the hope. That's the hope that Peter refers to back in chapter 1. That's the hope that he's telling him to now. He says, listen, Jesus is coming back. There's a future glory that awaits you. Don't get so focused on what you're dealing with right now, but look to that glory that God has promised you in the future. And you think Peter knew what he was talking about? Had Peter seen something of the glory of God? Remember, he was, he was part of that inner three, right? He went with Jesus up on the mountain when Moses and Elijah appeared, right? And, and Jesus was transfigured before him. He had seen the glory that was coming, right? He, he understood and knew that. Matthew 17, 2, it says, He was transfigured before them, and His face shone like the sun, and His garments became as white as light. Peter says, I, I, I haven't attained to that glory yet, but you know what? The Lord's promised that I'm going to get a part in that. And he says, that's what we're looking forward to. He says, I've, I've seen it. I've seen it, and, and this is the hope that we're looking for, and this is what you need to be focused on. And so because of that, because, because I understand, because I've been where you are, because we have this common experience, because we're looking forward to this common hope, listen, I'm going to give you some instruction, and you need to, you need to understand it's not 
about the difficulties. It's not about the hardships. It's about the purpose for which Christ has called you. Therefore, shepherd the flock of God. Shepherd the flock. When he gets to verse 2, and, and, he, and, he, and he, that's his first command to them. He's identified with them. He's, he's sought to encourage them. And he wants them to understand that it's all for the purpose that they might continue on in the calling for which they have been called, which is to shepherd the flock of God. In verse 2, he says, shepherd the flock of God among you, exercising oversight. And we're just going to stop right there. Two primary instructions that Peter's giving here. Shepherd the flock and provide oversight. But even in this instruction, Peter's example still goes before us. If you'll recall, we talked about Peter's denial of Jesus. Peter denied Jesus at the trial, denied him three times. Jesus is executed. Three days later, he's risen from the dead. He appears to the disciples on a couple different occasions. Don't know what's happening on in-between days. One day Peter says, I don't know what to do, I'm going fishing. The other disciples, looking to Peter as leader, say, well, we're going with you. So they all head out, they go fishing. Fish all night long, don't catch anything. Coming back into shore, or coming along the shore in the morning, there's this guy walking. The guy says, hey, throw your nets over on the other side. They're like, all right, man, we haven't caught anything, but might as well. And what, and what happens? They had great catch, right? Can't hardly get the, 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 the boats sinking. The, the nets are tearing. They're coming together. And Peter says, that's Jesus. And so Peter, Peter doesn't even help with the fish. He just jumps in the water and, and heads on into shore. And, and, then, and then there's Jesus. And what, Jesus already had his own fish, right? It says Jesus was there and he's, he's cooking the fish on the shore, making breakfast for him. And, uh, and we have this beautiful exchange between Peter and Jesus after after breakfast that morning john 21 verse 15 it says so when they had finished breakfast jesus said to simon peter simon son of john do you love me more than these and he said to him yes lord you know that i love you he said to him tend my lambs he said to him again a second time simon son of john do you love me and he said to him yes lord you know that i love you he said to him shepherd my sheep he said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things, you know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, tend my sheep. You see, Peter had been called not to be a fisherman, but to be a shepherd. And in this, and in this exchange between Jesus and Peter, we have this, this beautiful affirmation of Peter's love for Jesus, following his denial. And Jesus doesn't keep asking him, do you love me, because he didn't know Peter's heart, but because he wanted Peter to know his own heart. And he wanted, he wanted Peter to understand, listen, I'm not holding it against you. I'm giving you responsibility. He says, listen, I, I've called you for a greater purpose. Don't get hung up on what you've done wrong in the past. Don't let your past stop you from doing what I've called you to do now. Don't let, that, don't let that stand in your way. He says, listen, I forgive you. Start doing the thing I've called you to do. Tend my lambs. Shepherd 
my sheep. Tend the sheep. You know, we're all susceptible to discouragement, either because of the difficulties that, are, that come our way or circumstances or past wrongs that we can't seem to let go of. Those, those things are, can be discouraging. Broken relationships, financial hardships, job stress, all of those things can discourage us. We need to recognize that discouragement is one of the greatest enemies of the Christian faith that's at work in the world today. I think Peter recognized that. The Lord recognized it because he inspired Peter to write it. You see, because when we're discouraged, we're ineffective as believers. Because when we're discouraged, we're, our thoughts and our focus is on ourselves and on our circumstances and instead of on Christ and on his promises. When we're discouraged, we're not active in serving others and and sharing the gospel and, and doing the things that Christ has called us to do. When we're discouraged, we're, we're stuck in ourselves. God knows our struggle. And, he, and He's given us His Word to help overcome that struggle. So much, if you look, I mean, you read so much of the New Testament and it's encouragement for struggling believers. That's what it is. I mean, there's a lot of instruction, but it's a lot of encouragement because God knows we need to be encouraged. Peter knew that leaders need to be encouraged because God understands that while there's, there are struggles and difficulties and hardships, he's also given us a place of refuge. He's given us a place of encouragement and strengthening. It's called the church. And the church exists for the glory of God and for the good of his people. The church is meant to be here in order, not so that we can just get together and sing songs and, and listen to the word preached once a week. The church is here to be a community of believers that come together to encourage one another, to strengthen one another, to serve one another, to help one another. These communities exist for those purposes, but they need leaders to be examples of endurance and suffering. Not people just demanding obedience because of authority, but coming alongside as a fellow sheep, sharing common experience, and, but more importantly, sharing that common hope that we see in Peter. You see, there's Christ has promised us hope in our time of need, strength in our struggles. And for all who call upon him in faith, he's promised to walk with them and to be faithful. There's more to life than the immediacy of our circumstances, and as Christians, we're given the promise of future glory. Let's keep our eyes focused on Christ and on his promises, and on that future glory, so that discouragement isn't allowed to keep us from doing and being what God's called us to be and to do. But let us be faithful, and let us encourage one another and strengthen one another in the purpose for which God 
sent his son into the world to save a people and to grow the faith of a people so that Christ might be exalted, that the gospel might go forth, the church might spread, and Jesus' name would be heard throughout all the earth. Let's pray together. Father, I just thank you for this word of encouragement this morning. Lord, you know better than anyone the burdens of our heart. You know our struggles. You know the hurts of those around us and those that we hurt for. Lord, you are able to work in the most dire of circumstances to bring about glory and hope and strength. And I pray this morning, Lord, that you would continue to work in us and through us, to manifest your presence and your power so that you might be glorified in the midst of our difficulties. And Father, I pray for church leaders around our nation and around the world in their various circumstances and hardships. And I pray, Lord, that you would speak a word of encouragement to them this morning to help them to be faithful, to proclaim your word, and to help them to care diligently for the sheep in their care. Lord, I pray that you would strengthen each and every believer, that you would bring conviction on the unbelievers, Lord, because in reality, we can be discouraged as believers, but we have hope of a better future, and for those that don't know you, Lord, they don't. They have nothing to hope in, nothing to look forward to. Help us to give that to them in the hope of the gospel. Strengthen us, Lord, that in all things you might be glorified in us. Equip your leaders, Lord, for the work you've called them to. I pray that you would call out new leadership from among the congregation, that you would encourage hearts, Lord, to, to seek you first in all things. And Father, for those whom you've appointed, I pray that you would raise awareness in their hearts and create a burden in them to serve and to lead. Maybe it's just a ministry of the church or an aspect of those ministries or possibly, Father, maybe there's a a need for you to, to raise up new, new leaders and, and to oversee things, Father. Only you know what's, what's happening in our lives. Only you know what, what you're trying to do. But I just, Lord, I just pray for obedient hearts. And I pray that you would help us always to be sensitive to the leading of your Spirit as you continue to conform us to the image of your Son. It's in his name we pray. Amen.